Welcome to the Investment Clinic Live, your monthly 30-minute online chat with an investor. And now your host, Brindusa Burroughs. Great. So thank you, everyone, for joining. Today, we are hosting the next Investment Clinic Live. We are with Kostis Talanis, who is head of investment at Quadia in Switzerland. Hi, Kostis. Good afternoon. Hi, really happy to have you today. My name is Brindu Zaboros. I'm the founder and CEO of the Ground Up Project, a deal sourcing platform for sustainability based out of Switzerland. The Investment Clinic, which is hosting you today, is a product of the Ground Up Project company, uh, specifically designed to prepare impact ventures for fundraising. We realized in the course of our work with over a thousand enterprises in lots of parts of the world that investor readiness is the number one challenge of an impact venture. The investment clinic offers uh, expert hotlines, investor lectures, and there's also expert support on a one-on-one basis for financial modeling, revenue models, investment teasers, and any other problems that an entrepreneur faces when they're in the fundraising process, whether they're at the beginning or, or during the fundraising or sometimes after the fundraising process has ended. I mentioned the Ground Up Project is a deal sourcing platform. I should mention for entrepreneurs who are online or listening to us, the Value Compass is a free tool, a self-assessment tool. It helps you assess your level of investment readiness. It is a tool that's been vetted by investors as capturing some of the key elements that an investor wants to see from you when you come to them with a proposal. So if you are fundraising, register on the Ground Up Project and get your value compass so that you can become visible to investors on the platform. Costis, you have more than 15 years of experience in investment banking, venture capital, private equity, project finance, fund management. You've worked with family offices, with high net worth individuals, other private institutional investors. This is a really impressive bio and I'm going to give the chance to people to read it for a second. You moved into the impact space a while ago, but you were in the investment banking division of Lombardier. Your company Bregal Energy, previously Good Energy, a multi-billion investment manager through the build-up and expansion phase. You were involved in investment portfolio coaching processes of leading global renewable energy players. You prepared and coordinated the IPO listing of two of the world's largest solar manufacturing. This is really a very, very impressive track record in in what I may say is a relatively short period of time. I'm curious, what made you back then move from Lombardia? What made you actually uh, do the jump and, and get into impact? It's a very good question. First of all, it is a great pleasure to be here. I feel that the investment clinic idea is very promising. Indeed, the investment readiness is becoming extremely important, specifically for the impact investing community. Therefore, I'm very excited to be able to help, even with the uh, the live today. Therefore, thank you again for the invitation. It's great to be here. To your question, I feel that I started very early looking into the sustainability segment. I think I was one of the uh, first investment professionals to look into renewable energy and clean tech investments back in 2004, and relatively Quickly enough, through the sustainability, I came to the impact world 10 years ago, thought that it's extremely exciting to include beyond clean tech and renewable energy infrastructure investments, all the other themes that impact investing is including today. Very exciting. 
10 years uh, in the impact world and extremely challenging days, weeks, and months. So this is something that never changes. I feel that the initial drive was the involvement in doing investments that can, in principle, change how this economy is functioning, how the world is functioning. And maybe by investing in this kind of regenerative business models, we will be able to tackle the world's challenges, both on the social side and on the environmental side. And I think this is the principle that I share. And this is also the very reason that I'm involved in impact investing. I feel that we share the same uh, the same concerns and, and desires. And it's really great to see many more professionals actually sharing these values. Now, you talked about the impact investment field. Let me ask you first, how do you think the impact investment field is evolving today, and especially in Switzerland? It's definitely involved. Everybody knows that now. It's in the front page of the magazines. I think the number of articles per year that are published around the term impact investing is increasing exponentially every year. But we would like to see more in terms of inflow of capital in the theme impact investing in general. So I think that uh, there's still a lot to do. There, there are a lot of challenges that we need to address. Switzerland is a sustainability hub. It has developed to a sustainability uh, hub in the last 10 years, and that affects also impact investing. We have a lot of microfinance fund managers, a lot of family offices that are investing, institutional investors, pension funds. So it's, it's, it's a term. Great to be in Switzerland and discuss with people that understand what impact investing is. Nevertheless, I feel that the real push will be given by the banks and specifically by the private banks because the interest on the high net worth individual side is very, very strong, and especially on the next generation. I feel that private banks in Switzerland have a pivotal role in turning that interest into real investment. So pipelining more assets, more funds into the impact investing world. This is what I feel needs to happen. This is what is happening gradually. So we're going to see a lot on this side uh, going forward in Switzerland. You're specifically referring to uh, millennials' interests, millennial high net worth individuals. Absolutely, absolutely. We see how involved they are in, in social environmental issues. They are trying to connect the family operations, the family business, but also the family wealth uh, with these components. And, and uh, they're trying to find the most effective ways to be able to convince the experts in their family offices or the previous generation. I had a lot of discussions with such uh, next-gen members, and uh, they need the right advice and the right expertise. So the role of intermediaries like myself is becoming very important going forward. That's great. We have lots of questions to go through, so why don't we do a sort of a rapid fire now? Now, let's see, what region, sector, stage, impact type do you look for? Can you describe a little bit the scope of your investment? The themes that we're focusing on right now is clean tech and energy efficiencies, sustainable food and agriculture, renewable energy infrastructure, and, and all the other themes with direct investments, right? All the other themes we're addressing through funds, investments in funds that are with specialized fund managers that have the expertise to investments in different regions and in different themes that we're not covering with direct investments. In terms of stage, I would say more late venture capital, private equity and project finance, companies with proof of concept, tested products, tested markets. In exceptional cases, I would definitely look at earlier ventures as long as there is a very strong value proposition and other strategic investors involved. So no ideation. There was a question whether you were 
uh, also funding ideation stage. That would be way too early. That would be, we would not be the right partner. Our personal investments as professionals and executives, yes, we, you know, I have done that in the past several times. Uh, for the clients that I'm managing the wealth for, I feel that they should be more exposed to less riskier ventures or more established ventures, if you want. Therefore, the very, very early stages, we wouldn't be the right partner. There are better people out there that know how to scale these companies up, what kind of help they need. If there are technology ventures, then the technological expertise in that specific field where the investment is operating is necessary, etc. So I probably wouldn't be the right investor for extremely early ventures. And uh, Asia? Are you interested in Asia? Asia is uh, an area that I would address through specialized fund managers. If I get a very interesting deal from, from that region, which is very promising, so if it's a very promising opportunity, I would uh, usually liaise with the fund managers that I'm already invested in and show them the deal so that they can go ahead. They usually have also the local presence and the local expertise in order to be able to help the venture. So I have done that in the past, very interesting deals that came from that geography, and I've been been discussing them with the fund managers that I'm invested in. Sounds good. Thank you for that. What are the top three must-haves for an entrepreneur who wants to raise funds with you? What are your top three things in order to convince you that they are a good opportunity? I think that one of the questions was, what are the three most important elements to include in investment profile? What, what are the three, four things that an entrepreneur should communicate to investors? I feel that the approach should be extremely simple. The communication should be very simple. First of all, a good summary of what you do, what your company does, and where it's based, or what geographies your company will focus on. Secondly, what are you exactly looking for? How much funding, for example, and for what? the users of funds. And thirdly, the short team profile. Those are the three components that I would that I would want to see in the first couple of slides of a presentation when I get an investment opportunity sent to me. I feel that in many cases, the entrepreneurs know their venture so well, they think that everybody else does that as well. This is not correct always. And therefore, they can confuse the audience if they're presenting it as a public speaker or if they're sending their representation to a prospective investor. I think that keeping it simple and well-structured is, is my advice. So those are the three things that an investor would look at. Is the team ready to go? Are their profiles the right ones for this venture? Is the strategy and therefore the product or the service that the company has decent, or is it promising, or can it be scaled up? And is that a range that I can take as an investor? So the ticket size. So therefore, I need to know the funding. Of course, the users of funds. I would focus on these three elements when I have a first discussion, or if I would have a first discussion with an investor and I would. Right. Just to clarify that, that what we're saying here is in the pre-selection stage. So you're at the beginning presenting some information and you hope that you would get a conversation going. This is how you would make your selection from your side. And I think it is important for entrepreneurs to understand how an investor thinks when they proceed and they, they pre-select from the, the range of opportunities that, that you receive. Uh, 
I, I'm curious. You must receive a lot of opportunities, don't you? Hundreds, hundreds of investment opportunities every year. Right, which is why it's so important to get those three things right so that you can stand in front there of is. There is. And it's, it's very simple, especially if an investment manager, senior investment manager is looking at so many prospective deals, he doesn't have time. What you need to know is first to have done your homework, which meaning that before you address the investor, it's, it, it's good to know what, what the investor does, if they have a website, etc. In order to be able to communicate the right message based on what the investor is looking for. But the three must-haves we said before is for an investment profile, is for the communication, is for the first email. The attributes that an entrepreneur needs to have before going to an investor, I think most importantly would be the willingness of the entrepreneur to work together with a like-minded, hands-on uh, financing provider and the right degree of transparency, especially for impact investor. This is, uh, this is extremely important. We have uh, two questions that came in. Uh, I think it's, they, they're basically in line with what we're talking about here, especially with the scope. There's a question coming from, I believe this is Kudzi. Yeah, Kudzi from Natford Energy. He is asking, any advice on matching investors for grants in sustainable energy that require co-financing? And then we have Guy Goodwin, who is from Acacia Partners, who is asking, B Corps and for-purpose companies, I guess what he means is, do you invest or are you, do you have an interest in these types of companies? And then his second question is crowdfunding versus single backer. Very interesting, all, all three. I think, let's start with crowdfunding. Crowdfunding, an excellent source that is developing very quickly, also for the impact field, but not only, for earlier ventures to start up. I feel it's going to become a different financing pool going forward, a very important one, because you're, what you do is you activate retail investors as opposed to professional investors in getting involved in ventures like this. So extremely important as long as you do it right and as long as it doesn't affect the reputational aspect of the company because you are exposed at the end of the day. But maybe it goes in the direction of transparency. Big corps. I feel that for impact investors specifically, a big corp classification is not mandatory. So an impact investor will go way beyond the big corp requirements to assess if a venture would fulfill social and environmental impact criteria. Definitely welcome as a classification. For an impact investor, not always necessary. It's another good thing to have. Is there a an impact enterprise that you invested in that you remember vividly? I'm curious if there's one that... Uh, that I have a lot of favorites. I have a lot of favorites. It's very difficult because I think we're going to record this and I don't want my portfolio companies to feel bad. But, you know, we have different risk return profiles within the portfolio and, and we have renewable energy infrastructure that's completely different than SP lending in Colombia. But the venture that really surprised me because it was extremely simple, a very light, I would say, in terms of equity financing, not well, well financed. It was a debt financing deal for me that we did in Colombia and the Philippines and Kenya. It's a company that finances micro entrepreneurs in this in these geographies. And it has been extremely successful. So the, the return that we got from that uh, investment, which was at the end of the day, the interest charged on the loan consecutively for so many years was exceptional. 
and the social impact that we have created was very high. So I would I would pick this one just because of the difficulties that the entrepreneur had at the beginning and how much he was able to 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 achieve with so little money. I think that would stand out when you ask me like this. Mm. It stands out also to me that you added and the type that the how much social impact you were able to achieve through that, which is well, great. So it's an amazing track record that they have achieved. You would make other investors jealous too. <laughs> 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 now, do you want to add anything else around the climate for startups for raising capital currently? Yeah, very briefly, maybe. It's excellent right now. I do not remember a time where venture capital and private equity money was so ample before. The requirements have become stricter, nevertheless, and therefore we still have a funding gap between ventures and investors. There is a lot of money out there that can be capital. What qualities do impact investors look for in early stage entrepreneurs? And I know you you said that you're, yeah. you're currently not the right partner for early stage, but perhaps from your experience? Yes, definitely transparency. We discussed that already. Cooperation potential. This is in most of the cases what we see not only in early stage entrepreneurs, but also in late venture capital. I feel that this is a make or break requirement at the end of the day. Thing only that I feel a very large percentage based on my personal experience of ventures that are not successful have to do with governance problems. And cooperation between the entrepreneur and the investor is a governance issue at the end of the day. Detailed impact reporting, absolutely. That's one of the things that an impact deal at least should, should have in place, especially if you're very early. It's difficult to find the resources to spend for an extremely detailed impact reporting, but for the impact community, this, this is a starting point. So it is important when you want to address investors. Clear scale-up strategy, I feel. This is necessary. Professional team, we said that before. Those are the, you know, the five characteristics that I would choose. You mentioned you talked about reasonable returns uh, earlier. What is a reasonable rate of return for an impact investor like Quadia? Very difficult to answer, but I think there is, the, the right answer is not how, what kind of returns. The right answer is what kind of risk return profiles. What I'm always looking for when I do investment is to have risk-return balance profiles. This is the most important thing for the entrepreneurs. We have different risks. We have different uh, with, with different uh, investors. We have different regions, geographies. So it's about the risk-return profile, not the return, the absolute number. Sounds good. And I, th- I guess on, on the market, so, you know, just to push you a little bit on this question, <laughs> on the market, there is a differentiation among investors more socially minded who would go in the range of four to seven versus institutional investors where you could get as high as 10 to 15 or higher, which becomes you know, larger scale and just a different kind of profile. Would you say that's a, a reasonable a split or segmentation? I remember a conference that I attended two years ago, one of the largest impact conferences, and we had something like 600 impact investors there. And I think we had 600 different approaches in impact investing. <laughs> I, I think that, yes, there are other impact investors that are putting social first or profit first, et cetera. Others that don't necessarily focus so much on returns at all. They're interested in, in financing sustainable, financially sustainable ventures. But for me, again, since I know that it's feasible to have competitive returns 
with impact investing as we do with mainstream investments. Actually, we are seeking premium returns. I feel that a venture, an investment, a project that is fully aligned with environmental and social parameters, eventually over the mid and long term should outperform standard investment. So this is my thesis around returns. But again, as I said before, very different approaches here. Right. Well, it's good to learn yours and, uh, and it's great to have you here explain it. There are a few questions around measuring impact. What metrics or frameworks do Quadi or other investors use for evaluating mitigating climate risk. I think this one was a particular one about climate. Yeah, asking about uh, how do you measure impact? Every investor has a different approach here. And they should. Because impact investing is a methodology. It's not an asset class. It's impossible to have common metrics for each asset class, each geography, and each maturity. What I suggest when other impact investors are asking me that are starting now, how do we do impact? measurement and reporting. So it's actually impact measurement, monitoring and reporting. I only suggest depends on your underlying portfolio, what you focus on. In any case, you should go as much in depth as your underlying investments are allowing you to go. So we don't want to burden the entrepreneur too much to take him away from his standard activity, which is managing the company successfully and building it up and scaling it up. At the same time, we want to put the methodology down so that we can report as much as possible. Our impact reporting methodology is something that we have developed over years, and every investor does the same. You develop that over years based on your underlying portfolio, on your necessity of your clients, on how much information do they want to they have on that impact side. Impact reporting, that's where we all agree, is very essential. It's the only way that we can increase the fund flow into that methodology going forward. It's the only way that we can inspire, excite capital providers to put more and more into impact investing. So impact monitoring and reporting, measurement monitoring and reporting, extremely important, very different from investor to investor. It's uh, interesting and somehow surprising, I have to say, that impact tracking and, and monitoring actually is so tailored from your end. It means you actually are able to, and in fact, it sounds like it's desirable to um, sort of adapt yourself to, to each investee. I think it's, it's necessary. If, if you do only the top line metrics, so you stay relatively on the surface, then you can have common metrics and you have one standard process and one framework and that we do. And every investor does. You start with the global uh, guidelines and then you're adjusting that to your processes and your organization. If you want to do more detailed reporting, then it needs to be customized because the global metrics do not apply to all these kind of industries, asset classes, maturities. Mm-hmm. And there was a follow-on question. What role do you believe will environmental and industry standards have on the solution and valuation? I guess the overall question just says, what role do these standards have on the uh, investment opportunity? Very important, definitely. I, I, I feel that as we said before, an impact, the core thesis of an impact investor is that when the business model that we're investing in can address a problem, a global problem, either environmental or social, this is when the investment qualifies for funding. 
right? So per definition, an impact investor does not even adjust their criteria for this environmental and social criteria. It's the core thesis of the investment strategy. Right, right. Now, here's another question. How do you react to investments that may have IP that is difficult to protect? Uh, with the IP, I have a very special approach and might be not the right one. I don't know. IP, you can only protect when the company is developing very quickly. It's very difficult to have a 100% protection in terms of IP. It applies to some deals that are extremely technological, right? And there you can have a, a certain degree of protection. For me, the best protection is scale it up as quickly as possible, be a first mover, establish your company, your products, your service into the market, and find the right investors continuously to fund your growth. This is the best protection that you can get from the market. That's why I don't necessarily believe in IPs only. A venture capitalist that focuses in extremely early, high technology ventures might feel that this parameter is extremely important. Or anything else, for me, not so much. It's a good to have, and it's, it's it can be mandatory in the due diligence process to look at the IP and see that everything is in place. But I don't feel that this is the decisive factor of the success of a company currently. It's interesting. We we had yesterday, for those who participated, we had um, an investment clinic webinar with uh, renewable energy companies, mostly, and but also other clean tech in South Africa, uh, organized in partnership with Sarebi and Green Cape. And um, that was one of the points that came out, you know, defending your IP through the market, actually, rather than uh, through any kind of legal protection that you may think about. Now, here's another question. We have time for one last one. Talks about what do you consider premium over the long or medium term, given the volatility since 2007, 2008? And then we'll come back to the last question on screen, which talks about plastic. And so I'd just like to close with that one. I think that I will answer both very quickly. I think the question about the premium relates more to listed stock. I was not necessarily referring, referring to listed stock of companies that comply to environmental and social criteria. Nevertheless, yes, we should be able on the long term to see on the listed equity as well, this kind of premium. There are the first reports that are trying to map and capture that premium with uh, statistical data. And I will also answer the use of plastic in food conservation. I think that was a question. Yes. yes, the question is, how is the impact investing world position on plastic use and food conservation? Huge, huge area. Extremely interesting. This is a sub-theme that, in principle, belongs in the sustainable food and agriculture space. It is a very pressing matter. Uh, if you think that plastic use in food conservation has two negative side effects. First is the potential influence on the preserved food. And secondly, of the waste that it creates. There are many innovative approaches out there trying to address this problem. Right now, I have seen a lot. Several of them will scale up going forward. I do not see one solution prevailing as a, the applications are too many. We need both alternative conservation technologies and ventures to reduce the produced waste. So I think this should be the holistic approach of addressing this issue. But absolutely, I've seen, I think, in the last six months, three or four ventures that that move around this this theme. Very interesting, uh, all four of them. After. And, and thank you so much for outlining this. And can I just say, 
how wonderful to hear you outline things from an impact and from a, a venture perspective. And the way you sort of look at the types of ventures and the types of things that we should be putting capital in in order to solve a very important problem. And so that kind of approach is really much welcome in, in the industry. And, uh, you know, hopefully that's what will continue to scale impact investment as we as we see it and as we imagine it. In Let's very much hope so. Let's hope so. Well, thank you, Kostis, and thank you all for your questions today. Thank you so much for taking the time. As next steps, if you would like, Kostis, to, to take a look at uh, your companies and your opportunities, that we welcome your application on the Ground Up Project platform. Sign up and, and include your profile. Contact us in order to get verified, and especially if you have other documentation that you would like to pass on. Costis, and along with other impact investors, do take a look at the platform and they will get in touch if the opportunity is the right opportunity for them. As a separate note, the investment clinic continues to offer the lives with, with investors, with impact investors, so you can come on as today, ask your questions and, and get introduced. Thank you so much again for, for joining us and talk to you very soon. Bye-bye, everyone. Have a good day. For more insights from impact investors, visit www.theinvestmentclinic.com.